Nature's Comics. We've had feedback. Wow. People listen to our show. I can't believe it. No, I don't believe it either. No. Okay. Chris Honeywell from the Two True Freaks left us really great feedback. So if you don't listen to Two True Freaks, it's Chris and uh, Scott. It's the other guy, I think. And they talk about all things geekery. So if you like what we talk about, go listen to them. Although they don't really need the numbers, do they? Do they not? No, they do loads of podcasts. Right. We could do with half their numbers and that would be brilliant. Cool. Okay. Andre Furweather got in touch with us and said, um, in reply to episode one... That Doomsday was created by the Kryptonians, which is why he went after Superman. Now, I didn't remember that from Superman vs. Doomsday. No, I didn't remember it. Okay. But I did some research. Uh, by research, I mean I was leafing through the 50p comic bins at the Comic Mart in Manchester. That's great research. And I picked up Doomsday Annual number one. Okay. And in that, it does say he was Kryptonian. So, thank you for that, Andre. Doomsday Annual one number one was very good, though. Was it not? No. Not Dan Jurgens. He's, I think he did something in it. Dan I read it on the train on the way home and I've already forgot it. Dan Jurgens does every Superman thing ever. Indeed. Uh, we've had feedback from Chris Pete. Thank you, Chris. We appreciate it. Batman's cool without his utility belt. Yes. Just saying. Just Is that replied to Chris? Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Uh, but this is really cool. We've had feedback from a girl. Yeah. A real live girl. Yeah. With girly bits and everything. Okay. <laughs> Liz got in touch and she said that everything I say sounds funny. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if she means that everything I say is witty and urbane. I think it's your voice. I'm just stupid and funny. I probably think it's 50% the of that description. Don't you? But, you know, we have a girl listening. Can't not that, can you? Episode 6 of Hey Kids Comics. Wait a second, man. What's going on with our voices? I try to run a clean ship around these parts, and so far in picking off comics, Andrew Leyland, that would be me, and my partner, Michael Leyland, who I just shot right dead, have been real careful about what we say. But see, that's going to be right difficult this week. Now, being as you folks have been real good to us, I reckon it's only fair to warn you that this week, well, we'll be talking about Preacher in general and two of the Preacher specials in specific, like. We'll be discussing themes and concepts that I reckon ain't right pretty. So it's only fair to warn you that if you have little ones, then I reckon this may not necessarily be the episode for them. Also, if you wish to remain unspoiled for a damn fine series, you may wish to avert your ears also. If you're still here, then I reckon you're mature enough to handle all that comes up next. So sit a spell, take a load off, and we'll tell you a tale.
I'm back now. You? Did you like that? I got shot. And I so want to be in Firefly. Ow. Not as painful as the last time I jumped off at you. Not as painful. Well, you didn't get shot last time. I suppose so, yeah. Okay. Hello, and welcome to, as we've already said, episode 6 of Hey Kids Comics. This is the second of our Vertigo Month episodes. If you missed last week's episode, all about Neil Gaiman's death, be sure to visit APLayland at Podomatic.com to listen and let us know what you thought. This week, we're as far away from Gaiman's thoughtful, considered prose as it's possible to be, as we discuss Preacher, my single favourite comic run ever. 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 Preacher is a rarity in American comics, although not that rare at Vertigo, in that it has a beginning and a middle and an end. Preacher was created... Oh, go on. Something Straczynski should learn. Ooh. <laughs> Preacher was created by Garth Ennis and artist Steve Dillon and followed on from the hugely successful run on the horror series Hellblazer. Ooh, ooh. Did you like the Hellblazer run? I was quite fond of it, yeah. It was excellent, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, very impressive. Well worth picking up. Uh, if you've only seen the film Constantine, just wash your eyeballs out because that's an awful, awful movie. They want to work on all 66 issues of the series, although the spin-off specials and miniseries were drawn by others, Ennis wrote them all. Preacher started in 1995 and ostensibly followed the adventures of Jesse Custer, a preacher in a small Texas town. Custer is accidentally possessed by the supernatural creature Genesis in an incident that killed his entire congregation and destroyed his church. By bonding with Genesis, Custer may have become the most powerful being in existence. Custer has a strong sense of right and wrong and journeys across the United States in an attempt to find God, literally, who Custer feels has abandoned his creation. He's joined by his ex-girlfriend, Tulip O'Hare, and a hard-drinking Irish vampire named Cassidy, who bears a superficial resemblance to Spike from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Only Cassidy's ginger. Is he? Me. I thought he was blonde. No, it's a ginger. Is he ginger? Cassidy's ginger. You just heard the wife. Caught on tape. Well, not tape, because obviously it's the 21st century, but you know what I mean. I still have tapes. Do you? Yeah. Yeah, but you're a retro kind of guy, aren't you? Yeah. You like your tape. <laughs> yeah. You're real to real. And I have videos. Your well. vinyl. Yeah. Video cassette. Mm-hmm. You just haven't entered the 21st century yet. Not yet. I don't even entered the 20th. No. No. Not yet. Not judging by the her. Thanks. Excellent. Preacher became famous, or infamous, for its violence, cool black humour and sex, and came under a lot of criticism, albeit not as much as if it had been a movie or a TV show. But these critics, as with most knee-jerk critics, haven't actually read what they're complaining about. At its core, Preacher is a western, with all the archetypes of that genre, and is in fact about friendship and loyalty. It's about doing the right thing when no one else is or can. You know, feelings and stuff. Yes, feelings and stuff. Because Ennis has a a soft side. Yeah. Occasionally. It's about standing shoulder to shoulder with your friends and family, even if it's against the entire world. You know, important stuff. Yeah. I thought so. Preacher is a book I would heartily recommend to adults, both men and women, or to smart teenagers. Ennis knows that you get people in the door with ultraviolets and sex. He knows you keep them there with a story about interesting, multifaceted characters that you can relate to and care about. It's one of the rare series that my wife has read all the way through. She blitzed through all 66 issues on a holiday once. Did you like Preacher, love? Yes. There you go. That's a ringing endorsement. They should put that on the back of the tread paperback, shouldn't they? Did you like it? Did yes. you like Preacher, love? Yes. <laughs> it itself. That's on the movie poster. <laughs> Oh, uh, 
if a comic book can have that kind of hold over a non-comics reader, then it's obviously very, very good. I first met Preacher in the comic store. I was familiar with Ennis and Dylan's run on Hellblazer, still unsurpassed in my opinion, and was on the lookout for the new book. In those pre-internet days, all we knew that it was called Preacher, and when I saw the gorgeous Glen Fabry cover, I picked up issue number one and stuck with the book for the next five years. The cover is on this week's notes on our webpage, www.heykidscomics.virginmedia.webspace.com, as will be both the covers from the two specials that we're going to talk about. How did you first read Preacher, Michael? The first time ever was in Waterstones, W.H. Smith's even, at the graphic novel section, where you were trying to convince Mum to let me read it. How old were you? I don't know, 13... Thir- 12. Let's go with 12. I'm a terrible parent. And Mum said, no, the, this stuff <coughs> is not old enough for yet. You turned around and showed me a, a picture of Tulip flashing. I'm a great parent. Yeah. You said I, I should have read it ever since, and then last year or the year before that, was it? When he said, Mike, I, you're going to be out for a month here, read this, and handed me a big box of them. Oh, yeah, you took them away with you while, you were, while we had the house done, didn't you? Yeah. And you had nothing else to do? Nope. But read Preacher? And I did. Oh, that's a pretty good way to spend a month, <laughs> yeah. quite frankly. Your mum read them in three days. Well, I tried beating mum's record. Did you win? No. no. That's a shame. I had things to do, you know, like school. Oh, are you implying your mum has nothing to do? No, I'm saying I was going to school. That's you feeding yourself for the next year. <laughs> oh, to cover all 66 issues of the series would take a podcast of its own. And don't think I didn't consider doing that. It was number three on the list, wasn't it? Along with... A Preacher podcast. Spider-Man. Or a Spider-Man podcast. Or let's just do one where we talk about what we feel like every month, week... I keep saying month. Do you think subconsciously I want to go monthly? Because this is bloody hard work doing it weekly. monthly. No, I I think we want to to build up a a loyal following of people who listen every week and look forward to our show. Well, I think we've got people who listen to it. We'd have to work harder for the rest of it. Yes. (laughs) Oh, dear me. Uh, In addition to the 66 uh, issues of the series, Ennis wrote a number of one-shot specials about periphery characters. None of these are essential to the main series, but show Ennis's more playful sides. They tend to be full of black, some would say slightly sick humour, but are good reads in and of themselves, as the reader doesn't need to have read Preacher to understand them. These are what we're going to be looking at today. Two of the specials. Saint Killers was a five-issue miniseries. Saint of Killers was a five-issue miniseries. Not a one-off. Not a one-off, no. Was that the first one that came out as well? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh, Heartily recommended, Saint of Killers. It's a western based on a character who appears in and out of Preacher, but well worth listening to. First of all, we're going to look at the special for 1997, entitled The Good Old Boys. Just a good old boy Never meaning no harm Beats all you never saw Been in trouble with the law Since the day they was born Straightening the curves Flattening the hills Someday the mountain might get them But the law never will Making their way Just a little bit more than the noble life. Just a good old boy. Wouldn't change if they could. 
fighting the system like a two modern day Robin Hood. Okay, the plot. The central characters in The Good Old Boys, just as a bit of backstory, of Jodie and TC are two southern gentlemen adept at strong arm tactics. The story has a cover by Glenn Fabry, who did other covers for all 66 issues of Preacher and all the specials, and is written by Garth Ennis and drawn by Carlos Esquera. I think that's how you pronounce that. As with all Fabry covers, it looks painted and really does pop off the stands. Sometimes his women look a little too muscular for my taste, and whenever you do Jesse's girlfriend Tulip, she looked different from cover to cover. But they were always very striking. What do you think of that cover? It sums up the entire issue. It does. Here you got a bad guy. It's Here you got a gorilla. A gorilla. <laughs> Here you got some bad dudes. Though you got the um, <coughs> the, the Confederate flag. Confederate flag. And you have TC with a fish. They do. It's a very movie-like cover, but this is a very summer B-movie type issue. Yes. The plot. So the story begins. TC is fishing in a lake, whilst Jody reads a men's magazine. TC catches a fish and is about to, uh, well, uh, use it as a masturbatory aid is probably the politest <laughs> way I can describe it, when Jody stops it and says it's time to go. We did warn you at the top of the show... Just in case you're not familiar with Garth Ennis's work, the top—that's what it's called—the top of the show, the Is beginning it? of the show. Yes, oh, okay. I speak professional. I do proper, proper, like in it. Yes, in it though. Uh, Jody stops him and says it's time to go. Apparently, they have some money coming their way for a job, and it's time to collect, especially if they can do another little job that's been lined up. Meantime, a helicopter disappears into the swamp, and two figures emerge. Tommy Ryder, a supermodel-turned-lawyer with a dangerous secret, and Cal Hicks, a cop on the edge with ex-wife and drinking problems, are on the way to give taped evidence to the FBI on international terrorists to clear Tommy's name. Yet Hicks's ineptitude has resulted in the aforementioned crash landing. They are being pursued by the men of a guy named Saddam Hopper, whose entire operation is under threat from the tape. Jody and TC head to their meeting, where it turns out Jody will fight anything for money. And in this case, Lachance, the bookie, has arranged a one-to-one with a large gorilla. Two baseball bats are thrown into the ring to make it a fur fight. Two go in, one comes out. It's very uh, beyond Thunderdome. Yeah. Do you not think? Jody asks, what are the odds? And happy with 80 to 1 against, takes a large baseball bat to the gorilla, smashing him over the head with it and then ramming it down his throat. Jody then takes the other baseball bat and swings, knocking the first bat with the second and pushing it deeper into the gorilla's gullet. Needless to say, Jody wins and takes his money, but not before slipping the baseball bat up the chance. I don't think I need to say up were. Jody and TC decide to celebrate by heading into town for some recreation. Right. We won't actually go into what well, we Jody and TC... We did warn them it. at the top of the show. Just go into it. Meantime, I like that meantime this week, Hicks and Tommy are being pursued by Hopper's men who manage to catch them, because let's face it, as a rescuer, Hicks is a pretty good talker. Jody and TC wander on by and are happy to not interfere until one of the grunts says that they'll have to kill them now because, well, they've seen everything. Now, Jody has just killed an 800-pound gorilla, so has no problems killing every single one of Hopper's men. Jody and TC are still happy to walk away at this point, but a second wave of attackers show up in a speedboat, and Tommy decides to stick with the people who just saved her perch behind. They escape into the swamp. Hopper is none too pleased about this development, and heads down there himself. 
Jody and TC set up camp for the night, with Jody taking a shine to Tommy, which Hicks doesn't approve of. He gets up in Jody's face, but Jody acquiesces to his demands. When Hicks walks off, TC asks Jody why he just didn't rip his damn fool head off. But Jody reasons that this tool thinks himself a hero, and heroes is always fun. They set up camp for the night. TC tells Tommy that they ain't that different from regular folks, and after a little too much to drink, she tries to get in Hicks's pants. When he can't perform, Tommy runs to the waiting arms of Jody, whilst TC makes use of Hicks's dog for a game of hide the sausage. The next day, Hopper shows up with his army men in tow. Jody and TC make short work of one of them and learn what they need to know to formulate a plan of attack. Said plan seems to consist of Jody and TC hacking Hopper's men to fish sticks using whatever comes to hand, culminating with Jody taking an outboard motor to some guy's head. Hopper still has more firepower though, so Jody and TC elect to finish this off at night. I bet TC's down and turn him into fish sticks. Yes. <laughs> He's up though, was it Kanye? Yeah. Kanye and fish sticks. Yeah. <laughs> night falls, and Hopper ties Tommy and Hicks to a pole in the middle of the swamp. Like in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yes, I got that. Hopper asks about his tape, but Tommy doesn't have it anymore after last night's indiscretion with Jodie. She doesn't tell Hopper that, of course, but Hicks professes his love for Tommy like the pussy-whipped whiner that he is. Hopper decides he's had enough of this and starts burning off Hicks's pubic hairs with his knife. <laughs> Whilst he's distracted, Jodie and TC make short work of his men and Jodie offers to give him the tape if he'll walk away. Or we can keep Hicks as well. If he doesn't... Well, he's sure TC can find something to do with a headless corpse. Hopper doesn't take too well to threats and puts the gun to Tommy's head, pulling the trigger. Fortunately, the gun is empty and Jody wrestles him to the floor and through sheer brute strength separates his head from his body. He gives the body to TC to do as he see fits and fortunately we don't actually see what he does, although toilet paper's involved. The head, not the body. Was it the head, not the body? I thought he kicked the head away separately. No, he kicks the head to TC. Because based on the dialogue, which we can't really repeat on a family podcast, it was implied that he was going to remove his cranium from his neck and excrete. Right, okay. In the... Uh. That's, that's what I read it as. I could be wrong. Hicks lets rip with a huge rant about how he's going to bust Jody up and how he never wanted Tommy and how Jody's just redneck trash. Jody's finally had enough of this diatribe and takes him down real easy like. He ties him up in the swamp with only his head exposed and leaves him to the gators. He's pounding down, loaded up and trucking. Are we gonna do what they say can't be done? We've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. I'm eastbound just watch old bandit run. Debatable as to whether I can do accents. <laughs> Based on my Sean Connery impression last week, I think there's a number of people who would say, no, no, we can't do accents. I can do this one. Right, okay. Which one? This one. Which one? The one I'm using right now. 
Right. I'm quite convincing with that one. Okay. But everything else, that's quite sucking. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <coughs> my notes. Oh, do you want to go first? No, you. Yeah, okay. Jodie and TC first appeared in Preacher number 8 and last appeared in Preacher number 14, which kind of gives away what happens to them. Yes. Jodie's plenty more fish in the sea gag after TC fails to get his end away is hilarious. I don't think we actually mentioned in the recap that, that TC did actually catch a fish or what he was about to do to it. Yeah, I think you did. Did I? Masturbatory uses. Oh, yes, I did mention that, didn't I? I felt it was worth repeating. Yes. Yes. Uh, Ennis takes the mick out of action movies brilliantly here. The dialogue about being a cop on the edge and a supermodel turned lawyer with a secret is spot on and could easily have been a TV show in the 80s. Especially as uh, Hicks talks in exposition all the time and spouts nothing but bad movie cliches. He looks like it as well. He does look like because he's he's got a bit of a mullet, hasn't he, with his squintiness. He's just a bit lame, though. He's the Steven Seagal or Jean-Claude Van Damme of action heroes rather than Bruce Willis or Clint Eastwood, isn't he? Yeah. He's not terribly good. No. No. In fact, I'd go so far as to say he's Michael Perret. You don't know who that is, do you? No. Good. Well, let's move on from that before we once again reveal that you're very young and I'm not. Hicks falling on Tommy happens all the time in the movies and yet has never happened to anyone in real life Ever. You know when he falls on her and she accuses him yes. of having her? Yes, yes, yeah, <laughs> you can stop that. Yes. There's no need to mention what she accuses him of having. He kind of prods her, though. That With a very large stick. It's not a stick. Uh, Saddam, when we first meet him, is having colonic irrigation, which is the act of having one's colon cleaned out. Okay. Which prompts the rather humorous remark that he's so full of excrement that it will take a while to clean him out. Yeah. Except they don't say excrement. No. See, I am trying. It's written by Garth Ennis. It's written by Garth I don't Garth think Ennis. he tries. I don't think he does, no. Lowest common denominator rules. The Burnacle Brawl is similar to the one Philo Bedo, played by Clint Eastwood, used to partake in In Every Which Way But Loose, and its sequel Any Which Way You Can, except in that film, the gorilla was Clint's buddy. And I didn't have to look up that Clint Eastwood played Philo Bedo in the Any Which Way You Can <laughs> films. Which is a bit sad. And do you know I even remember the theme tune? Okay. Do you think our audience is ready for singing? No. No. So you don't want to hear the theme tune? No. Uh, I'm kind of upset now. <laughs> okay. TC's description... Oh, we need to find that theme tune to put it in this episode. No, we don't. Yes, we do. Every Which Way But Lose You Turn Me Every which way but lose Inside the fire's burning me In my mind you just keep turning me Every which way but lose Baby there's no excuse to turn me Every which way but lose TC's description of what he did to Jesse's birthday cake on the occasion of his 10th <laughs> birthday is 17 different kinds of wrong and brings new meaning to the term creamy filling. Hicks is a complete tool. Um, it's very funny. When he stands underneath the corpse that Jody's just hung, <laughs> and Jody has to explain to him what happens to a body when it passes away. For it those that don't know, bowels. bowels relieve themselves whilst he stood underneath him. 
Yes, very, very, very good sound effect. Uh, worthy <laughs> of the so. Batman TV show. Yeah, I think. Uh, TC cuts a guy so he dies, then pulls the pin on his grenade in his jacket, lies him back down so that when his friend pulls him up to see if he's still alive, he blows up in his face. <laughs> There's some real ultraviolence in these pages that's just played so over the top that it's very, very funny. I thought the engine death was amazing. With the outboard motor? Yeah. Where he just hacks people to bits yeah. with the outboard motor. It was great. I don't know that it's terribly realistic, though. But none of this book could be described (laughs) as realistic, really, could it? Oh dear. Hicks' description of his imagined night of passion is straight (laughs) out of an 80s softcore direct-to-DV movie, probably called Carnal Pleasures or Sweet Desires or something dreadful like that. How do you know that? I just made up two words that sound vaguely sexy. How do you know that it's out of a softcore DVD thing? I was 15 once. (laughs) Oh, right, okay. Life Force made me a man. Right. Have you ever seen Life Force? No. Uh, Matilda May. Anyway, look her up. Um, I don't know how strong you'd have to be to pull somebody's head from their body, but I reckon you'd have to be pretty strong. But we did see Jodie beat up an 800 pound gorilla. So I can do that. Can you? Her hands. <laughs> you can't turn the top off a can of Coke! <laughs> oh, dear me. Shut up. Okay. For some reason, Hopper's skin colour changes from page 49 to page 50. Did you notice that? No. He goes darker of skin for the last four or five pages. Oh. I didn't understand that at all. Um, Final thoughts from me. It's really, really, really stupid. Yeah. But it's so over the top, it's incredibly fun. It's straight out of those 70s movies Clint Eastwood and Burt Reynolds used to make, but with added bestiality and ultraviolence. Jody and TC come across as quite likeable here, albeit a bit deranged. So it's only when you get to read them in Preachers 8 through 14, which would be in the second trade paperback, that you really get to know them. They're not very nice people. Um, there were a number of specials um, for the subsidiary characters. There was supposed to be one about Bob Glover and Freddie Allen, sexual investigators, <laughs> but DC nixed it for being too deviant. And this isn't. And this isn't, yeah. apparently. So that one must have been really bad. Yeah. What did you think of it, Mikey Boy? Well, I thought the first thing uh, was the first caption at the very beginning. It was a couple of years back before they were dead. There was a chance for you to do an accent. I'd... Oh, was that you doing an accent? No. Sure. I can't do one now. Go on. No, I can't, I can't. A couple of years ago, before they was dead. A couple of years back, before they were dead. <laughs> You sound like Cletus the Slack John Yokel. Just trying to. It's my hillbilly impression, man. Go on. The description of Jody hitting the Mexican's head off was quite funny. Where <laughs> <laughs> it cracked and exploded. Yes. Um, page 9, panel 1 is a great panel, and it's a I just crap my pants sort of gorilla. Yeah, the gorilla looks a bit worried, doesn't he? He looks scary, which I, I felt sorry for him after a while. And uh, Lachance uh, reminds me of someone, but I can't remember who it is, so I'll just stick with a tallyman with a big cigar. Isn't he a bad guy? The tallyman. Isn't he a Batman bad guy? Yeah, with a huge grin and a long nose and a big hat. Right. Does he not look more like the gentleman from Buffy the Vampire Slayer? The tallyman. With a huge nose, maybe, yeah. Bit crossed out how Jody fights better after he gets laid. That was Isn't that the other way around in real life? Don't they stop footballers and boxers and soldiers and such from partaking in such 
strenuous activity before they go into a battle. I don't know. Well, I think they do. Okay. Because it's supposed to make you more aggressive. Is it? Well, I, I believe so. I wouldn't know. Oh, okay. I don't do aggressive. Right. I'm quite laid back. Fair enough. And I liked how TC said that his life is like the real version of the Dukes of Hazard. They don't have a cool car. No. It has to be sad. Nope. And I think Hicks got a bit attention-seeky when it came to night, and he got a bit annoying. Going for a walk. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go for a walk now. Okay. No, I, I said I'm going to go for a walk right now. Yeah, okay. okay. No, I'm, I'm really going for a Well, go then! God, he's a... He's a Bonehead, isn't he? Hicks. Highest order. Description of sex was quite funny. I thought burning off pubes was hilarious oh. and ever so painful. Oh, God. You know, it's quite painful. It was, yes. And after a while, I did think Hicks had that ending coming to him. He was a tool. He was.
this next special is the story of you know who. It was going to be yep. called, and we'll only say this once for delicate people, the story of Arseface. But apparently DC wouldn't let him put that on the cover. But he's allowed to do it on the inside. Yes. Apparently he's allowed to do it. Even despite that cover. Yeah. I think it's an average cover for Glenn Fabric, which was probably the template for the Alamo covers. Alamo was the last story I can preach on. Where all the covers were of people's faces. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that the main reason for covers <laughs> is to attract customers and not to repel them. That, that is a good point. Again, we will put the cover on the website. I don't know if Podomatic would like us to put this cover <laughs> on the uh, actual podcast. Um, I think it's a great <laughs> cover, to be honest with you. Um, in fact, it's so good that the actual interior art is a real letdown because he just doesn't capture his face as well. But more on that later. What's the story, young Michael? Well, it was written by Garth Ennis and pencils by Richard Case and inked as well. Coloured by Matt Hollingsworth, lettered by Clem Robbins and edited by Julie Rottenberg. In a run-down side of the town, some person... <laughs> Root Jr. <laughs> for his father is Sheriff Root. We never learn his first name, do we? Nope. No, we don't. Maybe he's called... <coughs> no, that's not. <laughs> hmm. Sits on a bench next to a homeless man. Butt cheeks. Maybe he's called butt cheeks. <laughs> it's possible. How <laughs> quite got that. The man wakes up and when he sees... Root Jr. <laughs> he throws up before taking drugs. After asking what happened to him... Root Jr. <laughs> Tells the story of how he became Root Junior. Oh. We only do this so we can put clean on iTunes. Back before he was Root Junior, he was Root Junior. (laughs) That doesn't make sense now, does it? Oh, go on then. He wakes up. Should I say that? With morning glory. (laughs) Yeah. And walks down the stairs to his dad shouting down the phone and his mum washing tablets down with vodka. At school, he's hit by someone his dad arrested the previous night. Pube, his friend. He's yeah, called Pube. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's in Family Guy. You know, it's American Dad, isn't it? Where his mates called Snot. Yeah. <laughs> Only not as gross as Pube. Oh dear God. Invites him round to his place, but back at home, he's beaten by his dad for just being different. His dad's a scumbag. Pube has Nirvana plastered all over his walls. <laughs> the group. He's got <laughs> no, Dave Grohl pinned to his walls. And Chris Nozzle hanging from his from his thing. Hanging from his lampshade. Bain didn't shoot him. No, he didn't. But I always attack in the mate, though, because you didn't say that word. Yeah, I know. Pube has Nirvana posters That's plastered better. all he over his walls. He doesn't actually have Nirvana <laughs> pinned to his walls. They both get stoned and root leaves. Junior. That night, he's woken by his dad shooting at Marshall's <laughs> in his face. Not only is he complete tool, he's mental. Yes, his dad goes out at night and shoots his gun at the night sky, thinking he's going to shoot down a Martian. But he's not exactly calling them Martians. No, he's not calling them Martians, he's calling them the N-word. And if you don't know what it is, you need to speak to your parents. Unless you are a parent. Unless you are a parent. Or an older person who knows what it means. Yes. After purchasing a certain magazine from an adult pug store, Root bumps into (laughs) a girl he was recently humiliated in front of. He has a conversation with her until Pube comes up (laughs) asking if he bought the magazine for him. 
this sends Laurel off. Pubes are. I'd say what magazine, but no, okay. we can't. Uh, we cannot, <laughs> for reasons of taste and decency, say the names of the magazines <laughs> that Root Junior but purchases. Garth Ennis deserves an award for coming up with those yeah, titles. If you've ever listened to any Bill Hicks, <laughs> um, it's similar to those. Yeah. At church, Pube's mum talks to the priest about her problems at home. The priest tells her that Jesus will help her get by, not better. She didn't look too happy at that. No. Didn't, didn't fill her with great joy, did it? <laughs> Not really. And that night, whilst smoking before a concert, Pube gets annoyed by a dog and says he's going to kill it. Pube suggests using Root's dad's shotgun, but Root convinces him not to. Before the concert, Root heads back home where he's beaten by his dad again. And at the concert, Root then jumps off the stage and breaks his nose. He tries to crowd surf and it's, fails miserably. Yeah. I've been crowd surfing. Have you? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Phil threw me across the crowd. Did it? Oh, mate, Phil. What were you watching? Uh, the Offspring, I think. Oh, okay. Outside, Pube tells Root that he can move in with him. Pube hears the dog again and convinces Root to steal his dad's shotgun. He does so, and Pube then shoots the dog. That's the first step onto being a serial killer, dude. <laughs> it made me laugh a lot. So. <laughs> oh, you're just not right in there. Okay, I felt sorry for it a bit. But it was yipping away, and we know, I know what but stupid yipping Pube's dogs are like. Pube's obviously deranged. Yeah, we know that. Shooting the poor little dog. What a divot. Have you ever wanted to shoot a dog? Not particularly. There's a number of people. I wouldn't mind. Well, let's not go there. Carry on. <coughs> when he gets back, Root notices his dad has moved and is no longer passed out on the floor. He's behind him. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. It's like in Lethal Weapon. I can shoot people, but I can't shoot the dog. Right. Root wakes up, packs a bag. Root Jr. Yes. Do I have to refer to him as Root Jr.? Go on. Okay. Root Jr. wakes up, packs a bag, and bins his collection of magazines, and moves in with Pube. Well, he tries to move in with Pube. Mm. Pube's not in. His sister shows him around. She tells Root that Pube's real name is Craig, and she laughs when she realises that he's called Pube. Craig Pube. (laughs) (laughs) She also tells Root that Craig is only 16. Right, I have a problem here. Yes. They're both in the same school, aren't they? Yeah. How can Root Jr. not have known his age? Even if you don't know somebody in high school, you have a pretty good idea what year they're in. Because when you do year assembly, you all walk in in your years. So you may have seen him at year assembly. Why does he not know he's two grades below him? Don't know. Is he just a bit dense? Well, we know that anyway. That's the only bit that didn't make any sense. Okay. Root's dad shows up and drags him home whilst beating him. So he doesn't move in with Pube at all. No. He smells marijuana on Root and puts out a cigarette on him. Sometime later, Pube phones and tells Root that Kurt Cobain just shot himself. Do you know, the aforementioned Phil phoned me and told me that Kurt Cobain had shot himself. Did he? Yes. Was it really that a shock that that you all phoned It's hard to describe that that was quite an important moment. Oh, okay. When Kurt Cobain shot himself. It was our Elvis is dead moment. Or was it? Where were you when JFK was shot? Or where were you on September 11th, 2001? That kind of thing. It was moderately an important deal. Where was I when it turned out Michael Jackson was dead? I was more upset that Farrah Fawcett had died personally. But carry on. Okay. Farrah Fawcett. <laughs> Mrs. Lee Majors. Oh, okay. She oh, wasn't right. the bionic okay. woman. That was Lindsay Wagner. What? Farrah Fawcett was in Charlie's Angels. She was in the Six Million Dollar Man a few times, though. Right, okay. Okay. Whilst walking down a street, 
The two bump into people from school. Pupe starts to fight with them after they try to impersonate Kurt Cobain shooting himself. <laughs> they smash his guitar on his head. Pupe decides they should use Root's gun on themselves. After deciding that whatever Death likes better than this, he shoots himself. Proof positive that Pube's an. Uh, I really said a, I nearly said a naughty word there. Hmm. Pube is a fracking fool. Frack. Root panics and shoots himself. He then wakes up in hospital where his dad tells him he should have put the gun in his mouth. <laughs> How sensitive is he? <laughs> <laughs> should have put the gun in your mouth, boy. <laughs> what a dad. <laughs> Catherine asks why they did it. And after Root tells her nobody cares, she screams at him, calling him stupid. Which he kind of is. Yes. His mum leaves, saying she won't put up with the family any longer. And then Root walks through the door as the new and ever-lovable Root Jr. Go on, you can say it, though. As the new, ever-lovable Artsface. God. Got to put emphasis on it, because you can't really say it much now. Lother shall come, mm. an Arseface. Butt cheeks. Mm. Carry on. Back in the present, he pulls out a gun, saying that he's going to kill Jesse Custer. The homeless man panics, not hearing what he's saying properly, and says he didn't understand a word of what he was just saying for the past two hours. The homeless man calls Root Jr. stupid for doing what he did to himself. And Root Jr. says could be. Could be.
notice this comic had page numbers. Richard's case's art was a bit off-putting at the start, but it then later grew on me. Uh, I liked how Root Jr. has dinosaur toys. Hey, thingy off from Firefly play with dinosaur toys. Wash. Wash. Curse your sudden yet inevitable betrayal. I can quote all of that, mate. Can you? I'm not going it's to. It's because you're very sad. No. Carry on. <coughs> uh, Root's t-shirt changes between pages four and five. Does it? In one of them, he's wearing a white t-shirt, plain white t-shirt, and the next he's wearing a Red Hot Chili Peppers t-shirt. Oh, yeah, he comes downstairs in a Red Hot Chili Peppers t-shirt. Whereas, on the previous page, it's just white. Yeah, that's the t-shirt he slept in, dumb boy. Well, he's just going to go downstairs. No, he's not. He's got dressed for school, though. He doesn't go to school in the same t-shirt he sleeps in. Neither do I, but he could have got dressed as... Well, judging by what you just said, you do. No wonder you smell. (laughs) (laughs) Carry on. Um, There was a time when I really wanted to shoot Big Root. Yeah, talking about, you know, you don't want to shoot the dog, but you really want to put a gun to the head of that dumbass. Yep. Um, the steam coming out of the mug of coffee on page 33, panel 3, was quite cool. What did you like about mug of coffee steam? Oh, that it's curling up in a big question mark. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, I found it fun trying to guess what Root Jr. (laughs) was saying without reading the translation. What we should have done with this is we should have gone through the entire episode saying his proper name, and then we should have just gone back and had you dub over Root Jr. Like, really badly, <laughs> like some badly dubbed Chinese cartoon. <laughs> and what they did with that creep acoustic thing is yeah. so <laughs> special. But I'm a creep. Uh, I like the cover. I don't think it's repellent. I really? think it's very striking in an elephant man kind of way. Uh, as we've said, all the covers will be on the website this week if you want to look at them. Um, for me, the art inside the issue was a bit off-putting. The art itself by Richard Case is okay, but the colouring is god-awful. Whoever said let's colour everything in shades of brown needs to slap upside the head. Brown wasn't a good colour in the 70s, and it still isn't. Also, Case doesn't draw Root Jr. <laughs> as good as either Glenn Fabry or Steve Dillon. Page one is a take-off of Forrest Gump. Did you spot that? No. Because have you ever seen Forrest Gump? No. Because there's a line of dialogue at the beginning as well, stupid as a stupid does, which right. is from Forrest Gump. Okay. Um, which I thought dated the book slightly. But on the other hand, the story takes place around Kurt Cobain's death, which is the 5th of April 1994, so it's probably not that dated really, given the book takes place in a specific time period. Mm-hmm. Um, we love, love, love the names <laughs> of the girly magazines that Root Jr. is reading on page four. I'll do them all again if you want. No, you're okay. No, I mean the Root Jr. Okay. For reasons of taste and decency, we're not going to mention them here. Go and buy the book. Root's English teacher is discussing the theory espoused by the Mormon Ezra Taft Benson that Martin Luther King Jr. was a communist and the civil rights movement was a communist-driven conspiracy. Was it? Uh, I would just say to you to Google that and look that up if you're interested because we're not going to discuss that on a comic book podcast. Root Jr.'s... Root Jr. Oh. Sorry, go on, you do it again. Root Jr.'s mate pube looks like Jay off of Jay and Silent Bob. Well, there is a panel. You know where he jumps off and breaks his nose hmm. in the concert? Um, there's a dude next to pube who looks like Thingy from Clerks. Silent Bob? No, the dude in Clerks. Which dude in Clerks? Not Silent Bob. The main dude in Clerks. Oh, Randall or Dante, whichever one he was. Yeah. yeah something like that. Where is it? I can't find it. While you're finding it, uh, Ennis does a good job in the opening pages making you feel really sorry for Root Jr. Oh, he does, yeah. 
Yeah, top of page 22, the guy does look like Dante, the clerk from... Clerks, appropriately enough. Um, Rude Jr.'s not a bad kid, he's just ignored by his parents, ignored by his peers at school, ignored by his teachers. Oh, did him. This is a bit of a shame, really. His mum's an alcoholic who shows no interest in him and his dad beats him at every opportunity. His dad's a bit too much of the redneck sheriff cliche for me and to show just how little he knows his son, there's never any indication that Rude Jr. listens to rap. He seems much more of a grunge guy to me. All the posters in his room are of Pearl Jam and the Red Hot Chili Peppers and Mud Honey and Nirvana. So the fact that his dad hauls off at him for listening to that rap music just shows that he's a bit of a fool. Um, his dad's such a loser, he gets drunk and shoots his gun at Martians during the night. And passes out on the floor. What a buffoon. Expedite, the band that... Root Junior. Jun- <laughs> Should we do that again? Yeah. Expedite, the band that goes to what? A lyrical geniuses or genii. Um, I don't understand how they're ever going to get played on commercial radio, though. Since there's only three two words. There seems to be two words, and um, one of them begins with F. The other one's it. And so it's not likely to, to get any play on National Radio 1. Um, Pube's a bigger loser than Root, Root Junior. Junior. <laughs> <laughs> Than Root Junior's dad and mum combined, and a real candidate for being one of those kids on the news after a shooting somewhere. He's a low-life scumbag with real low self-esteem who thinks he's some kind of important rebel figure. But given how he acts when he gets hold of a gun, he's got real mental health issues. What's sad about the story is that Root Junior can't even kill himself right. Nothing goes right for the boy, and even though he's a bit of a joke in the main Preacher series, his backstory makes you feel really sorry for him. Granted, if living in Podunk, USA really is this bleak, I'm not surprised he's a bit miffed. Root Jr. is actually the best of the bunch, and with little attention from his parents, he could have been a good kid. Everything that happens to is Hugo Root's fault. He pays no attention to his son or his wife, and spends all of his time being a big fish in a little pond. It's a real shame that Root Jr. had to shoot himself in the face before someone told him he wasn't as big an asshole as everyone says he was. Pube's sister is the most likeable character in the book. There was also a bit that made me laugh on the letter that his mum wrote, where at the very end it says, P.S. Three inches is below average. (laughs) Getting that last little dig in before she goes (laughs) out the door. Yeah, his mum just quits at the end of it. She's had enough. Uh, Any final thoughts on the story of you-know-who? Root Junior? (laughs) Uh, These are two great issues. They really were. The good old boys is funnier by and large, than the story of you-know-who, which actually has quite a tragic tinge to it. But Ennis was capable of being quite sweet every now and again, yeah. amidst all the ultra-violence and which sex. he did very well in Hellblazer. He did. He did his relationship um, with Tulip and Jesse is really well-written and well-observed. Um, Preacher wasn't as hugely influential as Sandman, but in its own way it was just as good, if not better. Sandman was the crossover art film that everybody loved, like Juno or Clerks, whilst Preacher was a Clint Eastwood movie that also happened to score big with critics, like Unforgiven. The individual issues, if we've piqued your interest, are really hard to find. Rarely show up in any 50p boxes, so if you want to read a twisted, ultraviolet modern western with sex and bad language, but also cool characters and a decent story, then it comes highly recommended. Who wouldn't want to read that? I got my friend into it. Like I said last week. What, just because of the sex? Yeah. Uh, I may have cut that out of last week's episode. You might have. I don't remember. No. Uh, I'm very, very, very what's it with the scissors, you know. Right, yeah, I know. Very cruel with the scissors. Uh, uh, the unkindest cut of all. Oh, you mean editing? Yes. 
The series as a whole tackles some big issues. Liberal versus conservatism, repression, sexuality, racism, etc. But it never preaches. <laughs> see what but, I, um, see what I, did. I, I did? I did, yeah. What I did yeah, there. it's great. Yes. That was lame, wasn't it? Just a bit. Yeah, okay. Um, it never talks down to its audience, which is one of the impressive things about it. Uh, in fact, it raises all these questions and very rarely offers any definitive answers, leaving the audience to enjoy the story on two levels, either as a, a balls-out, gross-out um, story or as something with deeper levels and more meaning. All the issues are available as a nine-set trade paperback, and DC have just started putting Preacher out in hardback editions, if you, like me, like your comics to look good on a bookshelf. It is possibly the best finite comic book series ever made, um, and that's not up for debate. It's better than Transmetropolitan. Really? It's better than Why the Last Man, although we haven't read the end of Why the Last Man yet. It's better than Sandman. Okay, Transmet's my favourite. Is it? Yeah. Well, Well, more on that next week. Indeed. Keen listener. Um, so if you want to go on Amazon.co.uk or Hit Forbidden Planet or Travelling Man, they should be able to sort you out with um, the issues or the trade paperbacks. They keep trying to make a movie out of this, um, but if it's terrible as some most comic book adaptations, I hope they never bother. Garth Ennis was writing it. Yeah, but it was also up for as both a movie and a television show by the guy who did Daredevil. Was Daredevil was bad. And Ghost Rider. Ghost Rider was equally bad. Yes, so... See what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, let's let's not do a film of it. Um, Steve Dillon, who was the artist on the main series, seems to have become an artist at Marvel with nothing really stacking up to Preacher. His art's still fantastic, but for me he'll always belong somewhere on the open plains with Jesse Custer. Ennis remains one of my favourite writers, but one that I have a love-hate relationship with. Ennis, by his own admission, is not a fan of superheroes. He has a little respect for Superman as he was the first and best, but he has, he reckons, a couple of decent Batman stories in him. But whenever he writes superhero stuff, the contempt drips from every page. After Preacher, he wrote a Spider-Man story that sucked, a Hulk story that sucked, and then took over the Punisher for Marvel and did Hitman for DC. Both of those series were fantastic, until editorial force superhero appearances on him and they grind to a halt. The problem is superheroes are very easy to rip the mick out of, and a superhero spoof has to be very clever and come from a place of reverence to be funny. Ennis always takes the easy route for a cheap laugh and it gets a bit tiresome. When he writes other stuff like War Stories, a series of single-issue stories he did for DC set in World War II, he's fantastic and one of the best writers in the business. If he goes near superheroes, I tend not to read it. Uh, he's currently writing The Boys, a superhero spoof. Centred around a black ops team who take down superheroes who get too big for the boots, The Boys has its moments. The characters are well realised and fun, although the lead butcher is an irredeemable scumbag who's worse than the people he takes down. But the central relationship between Wee Huey and his super-powered girlfriend is touching and sweet. It's like Preacher in that it's funny and a bit gross, but so far it's got none of the depth or wit that made Preacher so appealing. Worth a read if you're old enough, though. Uh, currently, there are seven, seven trade paperbacks of the boys out, and they're normally in Waterstones or W.N. Yeah. Smiths or something. Normally, put with the kiddie comics, which amuses me no end. Really? <laughs> that the boys is just lumped with Spider-Man and Superman and okay. the Beano. Because <laughs> I would so put the boys next to the Beano. <laughs> yeah. What do you think of the boys? I don't like it. Do you not? You don't like it at all? Even though Derek Robertson does the art. Spider Jerusalem's in it at one point. Only briefly. I know. Yeah, okay. I, I don't like it really. Okay. 
so that's it. That's our discussion on Preacher. I imagine that at some point we will do another Preacher episode. We have to. Yeah. Because it's just pure genius. Yeah. If you haven't read it, go and find it and read it because it's brilliant. Next week, Vertigo Month continues, where we'll be looking at the first three issues of Transmetropolitan, which are collected in the trade paperback Back on the Street by Warren Ellis and Derek Robertson. Any final thoughts? No. None at all? None at all. Excellent. See you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey Kids Comics is a The Devil Will Find Work for Idle Hands to do production. All music used in the show is copyright by their respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. Michael and Andrew make no money from this. They do it simply for fun and because they have too much spare time. The opinions of Michael and Andrew expressed in the show are the opinions of Michael and Andrew and nobody else. We can be emailed on heykidscomics at virginmedia.com and our website is www.heykidscomics.webspace.virginmedia.com You can friend us on Facebook by going to Hey Kids, all one name, comics, all one name. You're all invited back next week to this locality to have a heaping helping of their hospitality. Set a spell. Take your shoes off. Y'all come back now, here?